At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. And if you would this morning, please turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1 in the Old Testament. And we are going to dive deeply into this text this morning. So grab a pen, grab some notes if that's your thing. But I would love for you to just engage your heart and mind and all that God has for us in this beautiful text this morning. As you're turning there, in 2019, a few years ago, my wife and I did something we said up until that point that we would never do. We surprised our kids and gave in and bought our family a dog for Christmas. I do love him. Please know that. I do love him, but I've been reminded for 36 months now why I was against the idea for so long. When he was a puppy, he he just loved to chew wood. So if you come to our house, all of our furniture, like all of it, has marks of the beast like on it. And he's left, you know evidence all over the home. And now that he's older, when he gets wired, he jumps up on our couch. And I don't know if your dog does this, but he jumps up on the couch, goes into the corner. It's a leather couch and he digs. Yeah, that's, that's the noise I make. He does it when I'm not there. I, I'm like, I guess the alpha in the home or whatever. And so when I'm there, he jumps off. But when I leave the room, he jumps back up, he digs. And what do you think that does to a leather couch? So we're that family now with like duct tape on our seats. No shame. And I wanted to, uh, you know, expire him and not just the couch, but my family cares too much, too deeply for him. So, and like I said, I love him too. So we're going to keep him, but he he puts holes in all kinds of things. He tears holes in pillows. And every time he gets into something he knows he shouldn't, he's repetitive. He does the same thing. He, He sees you. He knows that he's not supposed to do it. And he runs away into our dining room and hides underneath the dining room table. That's where he goes. And when you try to get him, he just kind of weaves in between the chairs. You can't get him. You just can't get this dog. And so that's where he goes. And I learned that my dog is defiant. He's defiant, like look you straight in the eye and sprint in the opposite direction towards that dining room table, defiant. Drop, nope, not going to do it. Sit, nope, not going to do it. Come, No way, I'm going that way, not going to do it. He knows exactly what I want him to do, and sometimes he just decides to do the opposite. And we paid just a ridiculous amount of money for this little thing. He looks like a teddy bear, he's super cute, but like we paid all this money for it, but the breeder never told us that he had this character quality of defiance. I wish I would have known that information. I've learned that my kids are actually a lot like my dog. They often know exactly what I want them to do, but they choose to do the opposite. And I've learned that it's not just children. Adults are a lot like my dog, too. And since I'm an adult, I guess I, too, qualify. Have you ever known exactly what God wants you to do and done the exact opposite? Like you hear from him, you know it's consistent with his word, you know what he's spoken to your heart, and yet you do the exact opposite opposite thing. We are launching into a new series this morning, and we will be working through a brilliant masterpiece within God's Word, a short four-chapter book named for its primary prophet, Jonah. 
And if you know the story, you already know that Jonah was defiant. I actually thought about renaming my dog Jonah. (laughs) Jonah was angry. Jonah was at odds with God. Why? We'll find out. But what we'll see along the way is that the issues that we'll uncover in this book, they are timeless. The tension is gut-wrenching. The struggle is personal. The truth and challenge will make all of us here squirm. This is not simply meant to be a cute little child story. This hits us so hard, and it is so very relevant for our time today. And we will all be asked whether or not we'll accept the extravagant love of God that is at the heart of this story's message. My eyes were opened to the power of this story by an author and pastor named Artaxerdia. And much of the content this morning, even throughout the series, is shaped by him. And before we dive in, we need to address a few of the hurdles, some of the misconceptions of this book that might have plagued your thinking. I know uh, growing up, if I look back over my childhood, they plagued mine. And here's a big one that many commentators, many even scholars have gone down this road. And that is, they might believe or take this story to be nothing more than a conjured up Jewish parable. A fairy tale meant to teach a moral principle. Believing Jonah is just a fairy tale is falling to, into a trap, friends. In the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, we find Screw Tape. He's a senior demon writing to his apprentice, Wormwood who is a tempter in training. And Screwtape is teaching the young demon how to secure the damnation of a British man who, according to the letters, only goes by the title The Patient. It's a very haunting book about the skill of deception and what leads the human heart into defiance. And this is what Screwtape writes. My dear Wormwood, your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally. Many people see Jonah as nothing more than jargon, as nonsense, allegory, fiction, a cute story, as I mentioned, for kids' ministry that fills the pages of coloring books and has a nice little moral at the end of it. That is a trap because one of the quickest ways, one of the quickest paths away from God is altering the truth of his word to fit our presuppositions, to fit him into a picture of what we think he ought to be and what we think he can or cannot do. So let me remind all of us here today of this first misconception that this book is not a parable. It is historical narrative. It happened in real time and real space. And yes, it involves a great fish that swallows a man for three days. And yes, a plant that grows overnight. And yes, a worm with a giant appetite. But if you have a problem with the supernatural, then the Bible is not your book. So another misconception that we have here is that the book is primarily about Jonah. It's not. Jonah is one of the 17 prophetic books that we have within the Old Testament. The 12 shortest ones were put together into a scroll called the Twelve. And all of them carry those prophetic names along with them. But ultimately these books are about not the prophet but God. 
And the same is true here. It's about his compassion, his salvation, his patience, his mission, his mercy, his love. And another one, the the confrontation. We all grow up thinking of this if you grew up in the church or with the story, that this is called the story of Jonah and the, what is it, friends? Whale. There's a lot of problems with that. First, we know that the word that is used here isn't actually even the word. The Jews had a word for whale, and they didn't use the word for whale. They used the word for great fish. So it was a great fish, not a whale. Let's fix all the coloring books, all right? Let's just, let's just adjust that in our thinking. So that's the first thing. But it's not really about the confrontation between Jonah and the great fish. It's ultimately a confrontation between Jonah and Yahweh. The covenant-keeping name of God, the name of God used of the Israelites, the sacred name of God. It's between Jonah and God. And what was Jonah's response to God? Defiance. It was defiance. He defies God. And we give him a bad rap, perhaps. Maybe you do as well. But as we understand the story, maybe you'll have a little bit more sympathy And you'll see yourself much more in him than you think. Defiance is dangerous. And what the first three verses, that's all we're going to get to today, what they share with us is that defiance gets us nowhere. You can defy God, but it will get you nowhere. Look at verse 1. And we'll see what defiance looks like. This is where defiance starts. It starts with being God's servant and knowing what God wants. That's where defiance starts, being God's servant and knowing what God wants. So in verse 1 we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So verses 1 and 2 give us God's mission for Jonah. Verse 3 gives us his response. Now remember, Jonah is a prophet. Well, what is a prophet? That means he speaks with God's authority, God's word, to God's people. That's what a prophet does, speaking with God's word, with God's authority, for the good of God's people. And his role in God's kingdom is not all that different from a follower of Jesus today. Disciples of Jesus are meant to share the message of Jesus, the word of Jesus. We're meant to do this with the authority of Jesus for the good of God's people and ultimately the world. So God calls Jonah to preach the message of repentance. In very many ways, very similarly, we are called to do the same. But Jonah and that little conjunction is critical within this book. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, you want to circle every time you see but... Because it's oftentimes there. Just the conjunction we're talking about here. So, but Jonah rose to flee. What does he do? He defies God. Did you know that Jonah was the only divinely chosen prophet of God that we read about within the Old Testament scriptures that ever dared defy God? Moses, he hesitated with what God said to do. Jeremiah questioned what God said to do. Elijah was scared to do what God said to do. But only Jonah demonstrates outright defiance. I don't think any of us wake up thinking, today's as good a day as any. 
to defy the God of the universe and the only one who can rightly lay claim to my soul. But obedience or defiance, those were the only options for him. Why? Obedience, defiance. Why only these two? Well, it says right in verse 1, because the word of the Lord had come to Jonah. He had heard from God. The word of the Lord means the word of Yahweh. This is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping, creator and sustainer of all things. The Lord is the one who makes Jonah's words relevant because Jonah's words are not based on his authority. They are based on God's authority. And this wasn't the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And whenever the word of the Lord comes to a servant of God, they have to choose then, do I share it or do I not? Do I obey or do I defy? We find the word of the Lord coming to Jonah another time. Maybe you weren't aware of this, but it's actually found in 2 Kings chapter 14, around 780 B.C., And there we read, Jeroboam restored, that's the king of Israel, restored the border of Israel from Lebo-Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Basically, here's what God wanted Jonah to preach to Israel at that time. That's not Jonah's message in Jonah chapter 1. This is at a different time, a different day, to a different group of people. He's meant to preach to Israel, even though your lives are overwhelmed right now in sin and idolatry. Even though you have abandoned the way of the Lord and the word of the Lord, God is still by his grace going to expand our borders and restore them back to what they were under King Solomon. Remember Saul David, Solomon, the kings of Israel, and then after that, the kingdom was divided. And basically, Jonah, I mean, what a pretty simple message in some ways. You can carry on in your sin. God's still going to bless you. That's basically what it was. You're going to carry on in your sin, and yet God's still going to bless you. Did you realize that sometimes prosperity is meant to lead us into repentance? Have you ever thought about that before? Sometimes prosperity is meant to lead us into repentance. This is what Paul picks up in Romans chapter 2 when he says, Or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The blessing is meant to lead our hearts to a place of saying, Lord, I'm sorry I don't deserve your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love. But I know because you've been gracious, even though I've wandered, that causes me to turn my heart back to you. That's what he desired. But instead, the Israelites were thinking, our borders are restored. And that must mean that God is good with the way we are living. Not a bad deal. And that's exactly how so many Christians in our churches live and think today. I'm not not really living for God. I'm not following his word, but things seem to be going pretty well, so he must be okay with it. I don't need to change anything. Now, Jonah, the prophet, knows that God is gracious and merciful and loving. That's what this demonstrates. But he also knows that God is just, righteous, and jealous for his glory. And Jonah knew God sent prophets to these tribes of Israel for 150 years without repentance. 
Things might have looked good from the outside, but the people were full of defiance. And Jonah, who loves his people, knew that one day God would deal with their unfaithfulness. You need to know this motivation behind the story that we're reading in this series. And Jonah, who loves his people, knew that one day some of that unfaithfulness might lead to their discipline. Now, you need to understand something also that's very important for us. Don't make the mistake of believing that our nation, the United States, is an equivalent, a one-for-one, with the nation of Israel. So when you read and hear about the nation of Israel and what God was doing with them, it means he's doing the exact same thing with us. That's a mistake that we can so often make. Some people hear this and immediately jump to apply it to our nation. See, God made a covenant That means an agreement full of binding promises with a chosen people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, through Moses, leading all the way back to the beginning of creation, ultimately through Abraham, all the way back to what he's promised us in Genesis 3 even, where he would smite the head of the snake. And he does this work ultimately through his people. It's a covenant promise. Started with Adam, moved through Abraham, went through Moses. He collected this people together. He made covenant with them. But then God made a covenant with the chosen people, the church, through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's called the new covenant through his blood. So God's covenant today is not with the United States. It's with his people, the church. The point is, the comparison as we come into the text is not with our nation, it's with us, his people, his church. That's where the application is. So God sends Jonah a word, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. You need to know that Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. God makes it clear what he wants Jonah to do. Get up. Go to Nineveh, preach repentance. So why is Jonah so bothered by this? Because he is a prophet, and a prophet speaks God's word with God's authority for the good of God's, what did I say? People. Well, the Assyrians aren't God's people. They couldn't be God's people, right? They are enemies of God's people. Elijah and Elisha, they preach the Israelites, Amos and Hosea, they preach to the Israelites. Jonah's thinking, this isn't in the job description. God wouldn't ask me to do this. And verse 2 says, For there, the Ninevites, their evil has come up before me. Not the evil of the Israelites, but the evil of the Ninevites. And do those words sound familiar at all in your mind? Is there another place in Scripture where it says, Their evil has come up to me? It's come up before me, where God talks about this. It actually happened in Genesis 18 with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. When the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, that has come up before me. And if not, I will know. And what did God do in Sodom and Gomorrah's case? Jonah would have known this history. Did God send Abraham and say, go preach repentance? No, he didn't send him because God had come to the end of his offering mercy. 
The citizens of that city had no more opportunity to repent. Nineveh was similar, brutal and violent and wicked. So God says to Abraham and Lot, in that case, get up and get out before I destroy that great city. But here, it's altogether different. God says to Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And Jonah knows that preaching repentance means that the Ninevites might actually do what? Repent. And Jonah knows that if the Ninevites repent, then God will do what? Forgive them. And Jonah can't come to grips with the reality that God would show his mercy to those people. So he gets angry, angry at God's mercy. Jonah is not happy with what he's been told to preach, and he's not happy about who he's been told to preach it to. Maybe you're not happy with the message God has given to you. Offer him forgiveness? Are you kidding me? Offer her forgiveness? Offer them mercy? I don't want to do it, and they don't deserve it. Defiance starts with knowing that you are God's servant and knowing what he wants you to do. Look at verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He runs the other way. He rebels, he defies God. Think about this, Nineveh, Let me just show you an illustration of this. Nineveh is a simple three-month trip over land from where he was in Joppa in Israel. Tarshish is the exact opposite direction, 2,500 miles away, and it could have taken up to a year to get there. How many times do you think as he's traveling from his city down to Joppa where he's thinking, you know, This might not be a good decision. This might not be a good decision. This is not what God said. Turn around. Do you think that crossed his mind? Or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe instead of thinking that God might close his door as he walks down to Joppa to go in the opposite direction, he starts to see doors open. And he might start to convince himself, I think this is actually where God wants me to go after all. Because look, I get to the dock, and wouldn't you know it? There's a cruise ship available. And wouldn't you guess, there's one more ticket left. I got a room. And can you believe it? I have the money to pay the whole fare. It seems like everything that I need to go this direction, it seems like God's in support. It seems like this is exactly what he wants me to do. We are so easily deceived, friends thinking that God must be in our plans because everything seems to be coming together just the way we'd hoped. We might even say, this is God's plan for me. I felt guilty for a minute, but maybe God is letting my heart know that this is okay. It's all right. It's okay to hold on to anger. It's okay to be resentful. It's okay to cross the lines in this relationship. It's okay to cross lines at work. It's okay to think so much about divorce and and just start over. It's okay. It's much easier than we realize to twist the will of God to fit our flesh. 
If your heart is set to run from God, here's what I found as a broken follower of Jesus, yes, but broken human being. If your heart is set to run from God, then you better know that every provision will be open to you that will allow you to do so. You want to go that direction? Guess what? It's going to seem pretty easy to get there. Defiance always takes us farther away from God faster than we ever thought possible. But we must remember, friends, this is not God's provision for you. It's not God's provision for you. Thoughts of lust, of greed, of forbidden relationship, of addiction, of escape, of appetite, of ambition, of worldly approval. This is not God's provision for you. So what's Jonah's endgame here? Jonah, verse 3, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we're not going to get too far ahead, but look down at verse 10. Same phrase is used. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, this is now sailors on a boat in the midst of a storm. And they say to Jonah, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What's his end game? To flee from the presence of the Lord. You might be thinking, how can he do that? None of us can escape God's presence. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. How can we hide from him? That's not what the phrase means. From the presence of the Lord, serving God in the presence of him is an allusion to the priests in the temple of God. And what it means is when I am ready and prepared in the presence of the Lord, I'm saying, I am here. I am your servant. I am in your temple. I will do what you ask me to do. So going away from the presence of the Lord means I'm going away from serving you. In other words, I quit. Get somebody else. I'm not interested. And this is the second point of what defiance looks like. It moves from I know what God, or I am God's servant and I know what God wants. And then moves to I know what God wants. I will not do it. Did you notice he says Tarshish three times? The Bible has a thing for repetition, so we should pay attention to that too. Why does he keep repeating it? Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Because God said Nineveh, and Jonah was running to Tarshish. Bring up that map again. He said Nineveh, and he's going to Tarshish. To Tarshish. To Tarshish. It's like if God were to say to you, I want you to go and preach repentance in Tehran. Go to Tehran and preach repentance. But instead, you go to Tahiti. 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 That's where you chose to go. Tahiti, and I said Tehran? You go to Tarshish, and I said Nineveh? I'm God's servant. I know what God wants. I will not do it. But why doesn't he go? What's his big problem with seeing God's grace extend to another nation? Was there racism involved? Was it because in Jonah's eyes they weren't supposed to be God's people? Yes, certainly those things are part of it. But something even deeper might be going on here. 
Think about this. Just, just engage your mind with me for a minute. Could Jonah have thought, is it possible Jonah would have thought, what happens to Israel if God forgives the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and my people, the Israelites, continue in their rebellion and sin? Assyria is a big boy. On the world stage at this time, Jonah knows the threat. What if the people Jonah preaches to end up being the people that God uses to discipline and maybe even almost destroy his own people? Now what do you do? What does he do? Because that's exactly what happened. The Assyrians end up conquering Israel, the northern tribes. What's Jonah's loyalty? Is he going to choose what God has told him specifically to do? Or will he choose what he believes is his own people, even though ultimately they were God's? Well, he says, Tarshish. Tarshish. I'm running to the dining room table. I'm not running where you tell me to go. So Jonah defies God. He says, I know what you want. I will not do it. The cost is too high. And the truth is, he defied God, but, but here's the thing. So do you, and so do I, and so do we all. We are all Jonah. If I follow Jesus, if I do what God is asking of me, sometimes I won't like the results. For kids, God says obey your parents. For husbands, God says, unconditionally love and sacrifice for your wives. For wives, God says, love and respect your husbands. For Christians, God says, your top priority and passion is his kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. God speaks into our work ethic. He speaks into forgiveness. He speaks into our words. God talks about our money. God speaks about baptism and obedience. God speaks about our commitment to the local church. God speaks about our commitment to the mission of making disciples. And none of us might have woken up with the goal of rebelling against God, but the truth is, we all have. I am Jonah. You are Jonah. We are Jonah. I'm God's servant. I know what he wants. Sometimes, more often than I'd like to admit, I do not do it. And that's the same story for every human being, for all of time. All but one. All but one. Do you know where Jonah was from? Gath Heifer is what I read earlier. That's a little hometown three miles northeast of Nazareth in an area of Israel called Galilee. 780 years later, another prophet came from Galilee, even though the apostle John tells us that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, didn't remember that any prophet could come from that place or had ever come from that place. In John chapter 7, uh, they actually say, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And yet, This Galilean prophet comes. (laughs) He comes, and what he says in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, for just as Jonah was there three days 
and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus always knew who he was for. He always knew where his loyalties lied. He never turned in the opposite direction. He was always determined to go to Calvary. He fixed his eyes on a cross. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go, go preach to the world we created. Go preach repentance. Go preach to the very ones who will reject you, defy you, and kill you. You are my servant and your life will be a ransom for many. And what did he do? He did it. He came and he preached and he died and he gained victory over every single act of defiance. He won the victory over Jonah's sin and your sin and my sin because he knew he was God's servant. He knew what God wanted and he did it all the way through the cross. And because of this greater Galilean prophet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you and I, through faith, don't have to be Jonah any longer. The instant we place our faith in Christ, we are forgiven of our defiance. And in the moment we choose to give our lives to him and choose to follow him as his disciples, we are empowered by the Spirit of Christ to serve God, to be his servant, to know what he wants, and we are equipped with one another in community to do it, to follow through. We're no longer servants of sin. We have become servants of righteousness. If you have not made this decision to follow Christ, know that he is the only one, the only way, the only truth, the only life that can save you. There's no other way. Jesus came to overcome your defiance and mine. And we can live in his victory through faith. Have you received him? And if you have, if you are his disciples, what is the thing in your life that you know God is calling you to do, but you are right now still standing in defiance? Repent, turn around, don't go down to Joppa, don't buy the ticket, don't get on the ship, because what's going to happen is you're going to end up in the belly of the ocean in complete darkness and wonder what even happened to your faith. There's nothing there for you but darkness, deception, depression, and spiritual death. There's nothing there for you that way. Turn around. And I am not ignorant enough to think that many of us in this room, many of you in this room, right now the Spirit is speaking to you, stop, stop, turn around. That's not what I've spoken to you. There's a better way. If you know the rest of Jonah's story, all of his running after Tarshish ends up getting him where? Defiance gets us nowhere right back to where he started. There's a better way. Trust that God's word is 
there for you. Trust that he is, and he has shown us that he's willing to pursue us. Trust that he is good. Trust that his way is good, even if it looks like sacrifice. Trust that his love for you is sure, and his path for you is straight, even if it looks a little crooked from our perspective sometimes. Run to where he is leading you, and don't worry about the cost. Let us not be like the foolish Galatian believers who are running away from the truth of our faith when Paul says to them in Galatians chapter 5, you were running well, you were doing so well, you had received the gospel, you were following Jesus. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, this jargon is not from him who calls you. Instead, let it be said of all of us in this room, By God's grace, through the power of his spirit, what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me uh, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. There is goodness for you in Jesus Christ. Turn towards him. As we close this morning and I close in prayer and then we have a time of worship and response, if you want to come forward and receive Jesus, recognizing that you have defied God through your rebellion and sin, come forward. We'll have men and women who would love to pray with you and start that new life with you. I'll lead you in a prayer. And if you're a believer who knows, I need to turn. Don't just ignore the Holy Spirit's prodding. Let's all worship and pray together for one another. Let's not just rush out of here and not allow the spirit to do the work. We do that so much. Time's up. I'm out. Like, let him speak. Respond with worship. Hear from him. And we will be molded into the shape, this beautiful shape of the sun because of the goodness of God. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray for every person here, maybe watching online, who is determined in their soul, they're wanting to take that step of obedience and faith today and place their faith in Jesus. I pray that even now in these moments, they would pray to you, Father, in their heart, their mind, that they would pray, Jesus, forgive me. God, I have run from you. I've gone the opposite direction. And sometimes I've even justified that that's exactly where you wanted me to go. But thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of this Christian faith, who came and died for my defiance. Thank you for the salvation that is mine through faith in him alone. I receive him as Savior and as Lord. And Father, for every person in this room who has chosen Christ, Father, get our attention from this hard-hitting text, Father. It's beautifully gracious that you are so good that even in the midst of our defiance, you sent your Son, that while we were in sin, Christ died for us. And if we're still following that path, even in this moment right now, may we make the commitment to stand and say, I'm turning around, I'm turning from Joppa, I'm turning from Tarshish, I'm turning to you. Empower me and strengthen me, and Father, by your grace, would you still use me? And because you are good and merciful and loving, we know that you will receive our prayer. And you will forgive. 
And so we lift up our gratitude and thanks, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.